it's, uh, it's always a privilege to stand behind the desk and proclaim the Lord's Word. Today I want to try to share a message with you that I believe He laid on my heart. Um, I've had the privilege over the last few weeks of sharing some things with the ladies at MSP um, regarding you know, stinking thinking versus biblical thinking. And so out of that has grown uh, some of this message that I'm going to share with you today about Extreme Makeover Life Edition. Um, and we're going to look at that. But before I do that, I'd like to share a song with you. Um, it's an old song uh, and from Dallas Home, so probably not a whole lot of you will know about it, and that's good, because that way you don't really know if I mess up or not. Um, but uh, it's it goes along with the message, and it's called In My Father's House. It may not be the one you were thinking of. <clears throat>
in church, right? Well, I have this message today um, called Extreme Makeover Life Edition, and uh, we're going to use Psalm 127 verse 1 as a text, but we're going to use several verses of scripture, because I like to stay in scripture when I'm preaching. I get in a lot less trouble that way. People can argue with Trahan, they can't argue with the word. Well, you can, but it won't do any good, <laughs> because it doesn't change, Right? I've changed my opinions over, over the years of different things as, as the Lord has taught me stuff. Um, some, sometimes he's had to teach me several times the same thing until I finally realized that he was right. Uh, but the word is always the same, and that's it's something that we can depend on. Um, there was this guy that lived back in, in uh, that was a singer back in the late 70s and early 80s. He died in, last week, it was uh, in 1982. He died in a plane crash. His name was Keith Green. Um, a lot of his music is still out there today. And the, the words and music that he wrote are very, very relevant. And so I'm going to let him sing our uh, text today. He's got this song that's called, Unless the Lord Builds the House. And I think it's a great intro to the message.
asked him to bless all your plans But are you so sure you're not just doing what you want to Building your house on the sand, the sand attention to those lyrics, you understand why his stuff is still relevant today. It still speaks to me as it did back then when he was doing it. <clears throat> so today we're going to talk about Extreme Makeover, Life Edition, from the text that Keith just sang. I want to talk to you a little bit about renovation of the soul, God's renovation plan. And I believe that it starts with our soul. Many of you are familiar, maybe you remember the old program. When was it, 10 years ago, 15 years ago? Extreme Makeover, Home Edition, with uh, Ty Pennington and all those folks that used to go in and redo houses and stuff. Well, the Lord kind of brought it back to my memory and, and uh, gave me this message kind of loosely based on that concept. God wants to renovate our souls because guess what? We're in pretty bad shape otherwise. We're like that house that uh, Dallas Home described. I'm going to get this thing out of my way. It's bothering me. Dallas Home described, you know, as uh, all the windows are broken, all the doors hang open, <laughs> the lights have gone dim. That's kind of the aging process, I found out. And uh, things, things change. But you know, the soul goes on forever. Our soul is going to live forever in God's presence, somewhere, somehow, in eternity. And so we need to make sure that we're taking care of that. Renovation of the soul, to me, let's first of all understand what the soul is. There's basically three parts to it. You can go to the next one. There's three parts to our soul, and you may have heard this before, the mind, the will, and the emotions, right? Everybody's heard of that one before. The soul comprises of three parts, the mind, the will, and the emotions. That's the common terminology, but I liked alliteration. You know, that's what they taught us in school, was alliteration in your sermons helps people remember. So instead of mind, I had attitudes, because 
uh, as we talked about with the ladies over the last few weeks, our attitude is a mindset. And that's what comes out as our thoughts, is how we think is our attitude, our mindset. And then it has to do with appetites, which is our emotions. Now, a lot of times what we think of emotions is love and hate and all that stuff. Those are feelings. Emotions, in the biblical sense, has more to do with desire. It has more to do with the idea of what's your appetite, what's your goal, what are you looking for. And then the final part of it is the will, and I call that the actions. And those three things work together in us that create our behavior and our character. And so our attitudes influence our appetites, and our appetites and attitudes influence our actions. We make choices based on our attitudes and our appetites. And so that's where we're going to start right there. That's where renovation of the soul has to take place, is in those three areas. Renovation of the soul is about changing and transforming of our mind, of our thinking, of our attitudes. And that has to do with the idea of our beliefs, our convictions. And if you want to put it in the old vernacular of what was going around a few years ago, what would Jesus think? What would Jesus, have you ever thought of that? When you're struggling with, with your thought life, when you're hooked up in negative thinking, fearful thinking, all this worryful, worrying thinking, all that stuff, what would Jesus think? <laughs> the beliefs, the attitudes, the convictions should be biblically based. What would Jesus think? If we can begin to think like Jesus would think from a biblical groundwork, It'll change our thinking. It'll change our attitude toward life. That's one thing that has kept me grounded. When things go crazy, and I don't know, some of y'all may have experienced this, but life gets crazy sometimes. Life goes nuts and goes off the rails and goes off the track sometimes. Things that are totally unexpected and what we would call out of left field happen all the time. People die that we didn't expect to die. Money goes away that we thought we had squirreled away. Finances and a job that we thought were secure are not so secure. And that all affects our thinking, doesn't it? Our attitude. But what would Jesus think? The attitude has to be that same one that was in Christ. Trusting in God. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says this, Paul recommends that we have this attitude, which is the word mindset, in yourself, which also was in Christ. That's thinking like Jesus thinks. Thinking like Jesus thinks. That's the way to cope with today. To think like Jesus would think. Now I know that you know Jesus lived a long time ago and he didn't have all the craziness that we have in our modern world, but he had some pretty crazy stuff happening to him. And yet he kept his focus on the Father, and on the mission that the Father had sent him on. In everything he did, he never lost track of the fact that I must do the will of my Father. And as born-again children of God, that's where our focus has to be. Now, the enemy will set up all kinds of distractions in our lives. Have you experienced those? He'll set up all kinds of stuff. Sometimes it's bait. 
It's something that looks good. It's got some bling to it, got some attraction to it. It draws us off of the track, and we think it's good until we bite into it, then we find out there's a hook. So we have to keep our focus on the Lord. The author of Hebrews says it this way, keep your eyes on, your, on the author and the finisher of our faith. The second part of this has to do with changing or transforming of our emotions, our feelings, our appetites, which I think has more to do with our desires. What would Jesus want? What would Jesus want? What would Jesus want for you? Would Jesus want you to do what you're thinking about doing? See, we're going from thinking now into desires and appetites. What would Jesus want for you to do? Would he want you to go back and do something that you know you've already experienced as destructive? Would he want you to go back and repeat errors that you've already made? Would he want you to fall back into the lies that you were telling yourself before he came into your life? What, do you, what does he want for you? I, I'm here to tell you, God wants only the best for you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, it says this this way, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that tells me that we have to focus our desires. Not only focus what we think about, because what we think about becomes what we desire. Right? So the two things work together, and those two things hooked up together come out as behavior. Choices that we make. So God also wants us to change and transform our will, our choices, our actions, our behavior, our conduct. And that goes back to the thing that we're familiar with, what would Jesus do? You remember those, the WWJD stuff that we used to have, right? T-shirts, rings, bumper stickers, all kinds of stuff, WWJD. Well, it hasn't changed. Jesus still is a good pattern. He's the perfect example of what we should be doing. So no matter what you're thinking, no matter what you're feeling, do what Jesus would do. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 says this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death. And then he gives us the correct answer. The blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. God is still saying that to us today. As we, as we come across these beliefs, these thoughts, these attitudes that we have, and they lead us into desires and appetites, the bottom line is God is saying, choose life. Why is he saying that? Because he knows his ways are best. His ways are always best. We need to understand, God is our ally. He is on our side. He's not trying to get us to give up stuff that would be fun. He's not trying to give, get us to give up an abundant life. In fact, it's just the opposite. He's trying to give us abundant life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. 
That's what God wants for us. And so when people try to tell me that God doesn't want me to have any fun, I'm saying, well, your definition of fun and mine are two different things. Because you see, choices have consequences. I've heard that before. Y'all may have heard that before too. Choices have consequences. But those choices, with the consequences, come out of our attitudes and our appetites. They result in our actions, and those actions are what results in the consequences that we have in life. So, with all those things in mind, I want to look now at Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. I think we're there. Right. Yay. We're going to get into the extreme makeover, life edition. Paul writes to the Romans and he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's God's plan of renovation for us. Not to conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by renewing of our minds. Look at that a little bit closer. That word transformed. You know that that's the same word that's used in Matthew 17 about Jesus in the transfiguration? Do you realize that? We don't see it in English, but it's there. The same word that Paul uses here is the same word that the Gospel of Matthew uses for the transfiguration on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17. So Paul is telling us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transfigured by the renewing of your mind. What does that word transfigure mean? It means, or transform, it means completely alter and change completely into another. In another place it says that we are made new creations in Christ. That's God's will. He doesn't want us to remain the same miserable creatures living in a dungeon, living in a run-down shack that we were living in before we met Him. Now, He has gone on to prepare a place for us. By the way, one of Keith Green's quotes regarding that was, God created all of the universe, heaven and earth and all the universe, in six days. Jesus went to heaven and ascended to heaven 2,000 years ago. And he said, I go to prepare a place for you. So if God created everything there is in six days, just think of what heaven's going to look like after 2,000 years. That should wake you up. And that's what God wants to do for us. He wants to build His home in us. He wants to renovate, take out the trash, and all that. We're going to get into these steps here in a minute. But He wants to rebuild our lives and transform our lives. And Paul says that process begins with, oh, there's that P word, process. <clears throat> he says it, re, it begins with renewing. And that word literally means renovation. That word literally means renovation. It means changing into something different, a reconstruction and refurbishing. Have any of you ever done a, a rehab on a house, a reconstruction on a house, a renovation? It's a lot of work, isn't it? And we are too. 
we're a lot of work. But the good news is, we're not in this by ourselves. It's not a DIY project. So today we're going to explore God's renovation plan. Here's some observation as we begin. The degree of renovation is optional. Not everyone's up to the challenge for an extreme makeover. Some people are comfortable and satisfied where they are and what they have. I'm not. He's been working on me since May 5th, 1968. And I'm far from a completed project, I can tell you that. He finds new stuff in me to work on every day, sometimes every hour. He says, hey, John, did you notice this? It needs to be tightened up. You notice this? It's getting rotten. And so that process began. But some of us are comfortable with just staying where we are. You may choose to undergo a complete overhaul, or you may be satisfied with just a fresh coat of paint. I'm not satisfied with a fresh coat of paint. Because I know what's under that paint. Paint will cover a lot of stuff, but some of the stuff I got don't cover with paint. <laughs> no matter how much Glidden or whatever Bayer or whoever it is kind of manufacturer says it'll cover. And you know some of this paint they, they claim is one coat? Well, mine ain't. Mine is not one coat paint. It, it takes a few. It, ta it takes a base coat and then some. And God's been working on my paint for a while. The best thing to be painted with is the blood of Jesus. Because it covers all of our sins. It's not a DIY project. It's not something that we do on our own. There's a lot of self-help books out there, but you've got to be really careful because sometimes self-help is self-destruction. Sometimes it's extreme, and a lot of times it requires professional help. That's what we're going to talk about today. How do we get that process going? Although we have been bought with a price, God's renovation plan always involves sweat equity. Y'all know what that is? Yeah. You got to get in there and work alongside the contractor. You got to put your labor into it. So it's not a DIY project where we do it all ourselves, but neither is it an all God project where He does it all Himself. He expects us to be there and to put some sweat equity into the process. Now, today we're going to conclude the service with communion, and we're going to remember the price of our renovation, the price of our redemption. So here's some things that we need to remember. All of God's renovation plan must be done in accordance with the architect. That's God, the creator. If you got an architect, you better pay attention to what he's got to say because he knows where everything needs to go. He knows all the structural engineering of what's going to support where. And if we don't pay attention to the architect, we can get ourselves in serious trouble pretty quick. We also must be in compliance with the blueprint. What's the blueprint? Right here. 
The blueprint is in the Word. That's the, that's the God's plan for developing your life and renovating your life and making you a new creature in Him. And then thirdly, we have to be under the supervision of the contractor, and that's the Holy Spirit. He's the one there that we have to work alongside of and put that sweat equity in with. And we have to pay attention to what he's saying. We have to listen to his voice because guess what? He's the expert on us. The scripture tells me that the Holy Spirit knows things about me that I don't even know about myself because I'm in probably some denial. And I have some blind spots I don't want to even look at. I have stuff that I've maybe have swept under the rug or put in the closet and closed the door and don't want to even know about anymore. And that's what the Holy Spirit is there for, to open the closet and say, hey, hey John, do you remember this? And dealt with that. Oh, it's quiet in here today. Are y'all sleeping? Or okay. God's renovation plan is that we are to be restored to who we were created to be. That's the plan. God wants to restore us to who we were created to be. You see, back in the very beginning, we go back all the way to Genesis, when God finished everything on day six, every day He had said, this is good. On day six, when He had finished everything, including humankind, He said, this is very good. Very good. And then Satan came along, and our forebears, Adam and Eve, messed up bad. They made the wrong choice. Because they had the wrong attitude. And they had the wrong appetite. Their attitude was, hmm, maybe God didn't really mean what he said. That's still a common attitude among us, isn't it? When it's something that we don't want to give up, when it's some pet behavior that we're not quite ready to leave yet, sometimes we say, well, God, are you sure you really meant that? That that's a sin? Yeah. The Word doesn't change. There is really no modernized version of the Word that I want to have anything to do with that's going to water it down or change what is right and what is wrong. In fact, the Scripture pronounces doom upon those who try to do that. It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And yet we have that attitude in our society today. So let's begin to look at this process of renovation. There's three keys. I just gave you a couple of, a couple of them just now, but we're going to expand on it a little bit more. Number one, renovation without consulting the architect, will be doomed. If you don't consult the architect, you don't know where you're going. Renovations, without consulting the blueprint, will be disastrous. You'll wind up with extra pieces. You'll wind up with pipes that don't join up and wires that don't connect. The blueprint has to be followed to the letter. Renovations without consulting the contractor will be destructive. If we don't listen to what the contractor is telling us, the Holy Spirit will wind up messing things up and the doors won't close, the windows will leak, 
and we'll be in a big mess. Today we're going to look at some steps that take us through that process that need our attention so that God's renovation plan can be implemented in making over our lives as he intended them to be. Step one, asking for help. Help with the inspection. Have you ever bought a house uninspected? Just sight unseen? Mm -hmm. Dangerous stuff. You better have somebody come in and inspect it before you put your money down to find out what's in there. And so we need to ask God to come in and inspect our lives before we start this renovation plan to see what's there that needs to be changed. Folks in recovery refer to this as step four. It's an inventory. It's an inspection. It's what the psalmist David said in 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. There's that word again. See if there be any hurtful ways in me and lead me in the ways everlasting. Step two. Now that first step might take you a while. And it's an ongoing process. Step two, accepting help. You have to not only ask for it, you have to accept it. It's more than just asking. You have to accept it. Some people are not very good at accepting help. Some people won't even ask for help, but some people are, even when they ask for help, it's hard for them to accept it. Part of the accepting help is demolition of the old ways of living and cleaning up the rubble of the past. Now to me, when I read about this demolition idea, to me the word confession came to mind. We've talked about this before, if y'all have been here before when, I, when I've shared this. But the word confession in the New Testament is made up this word homogeo. And it means, homo means same. You probably know that word. Logeo is to say. So homologeo, or confession, is to say the same thing. What do you say the same thing? As God. About your sin. About the mess that is your life. That's what confession is. Coming clean with God and yourself. Breaking through the denial that you've been in. Breaking through that, oh, I'm a, I'm a good person. <laughs> How many times have I heard folks say that to me? How many times have I tried to pull that on God? But Lord, I'm doing good. Homologo, it means to say the same thing as God about our sin. Lord, it's a mess. Lord, it broke. Lord, it needs to be cleaned up. Lord, I don't need this in my life anymore. That's confession. And that's demolition. That's part of the process of being able to give it up. There's some stuff that we want to hang on to in there. There's some stuff that we want to hide in the closet and keep from God, but God says, no, it needs to go. Lord, speaking to somebody today. The second part of this is the clean up, and to me that says repentance. The word that's used there in the New Testament for repentance is metanoia. Meta means to change. Noia has to do with our thinking. So the word metanoia, the repentance, has to do with the change our thinking. 
And it goes along with confession. So not only do we have to say the same thing as God, but we have to think the same way about our sin that God does. That's why confession and repentance go together. Just to confess it, just to admit it, and agree with God doesn't take it far enough. We also have to do something about it. We have to change the way we think about it. Because it's an attitude, isn't it? It's an attitude about our sin. As long as you like what you're doing and it's sinful, you're going to keep doing it. As long as we're enjoying it, we're going to keep doing it. As long as we want to and desire it, as long as our appetite is in that direction, we're going to keep doing it. No matter how destructive it's proven in the past, no matter how many times the Holy Spirit taps us on the shoulder and says, that's got to go, we try to hang on to it. Demolition, clean up. Two vital steps in the renovation process. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. That sounds like demolition. Behold, new things have come. That's God's restoration and renovation. He wants to give us new stuff, not to hang on to the old, but to bring us new. Step three. Getting the right materials. So not only do we have to ask for help and accept the help, but we have to get the right materials. I call this resourcing and repurposing. Repurposing is one of those newer words that we just came along with in the last few years when we started watching all these DIY programs. There's some things in our lives that God gifted us with from birth. But we've been using them for the wrong purposes and for the wrong things. There's talents, there's abilities that we are built in, innate in our bodies, and innate in our minds and our personalities that God has gifted us with. But we've been using them for the wrong purpose. And now, He wants to repurpose those things. So that when that gift is exhibited. It's no longer about me. It's about Him. It's no longer about promoting me and making me popular or making me whatever. It's about Him and His kingdom. First thing about this is we need to accept no substitutes. We have to accept the architect's plan. And the architect's plan will tell us exactly what materials to use where, we have to trust the blueprint of Scripture to direct to the right source and supply and material that we need. Now, you might be able to find it cheaper somewhere else, but trust me, you don't want to use the cheap stuff. It might look like a bargain now, but when the stress and the pressure comes, it might also fail you. So you've got to listen. Pay attention to what the blueprint says. And then trust the contractor, the Holy Spirit, to direct and order the rebuilding. Let him tell you what stays and what goes, what God can use in you and what needs to be tossed out in the trash in the dumpster. Sometimes we can even use the church and fellowship of believers as subcontractors. You want to think of it that way. There are some good subcontractors in this congregation that will help you and direct you. Now, we're not Holy Ghost Junior, okay? But we will help you because we've been there and done that. 
Swung, had, had a few hammers swung in our own lives. Hammered our own thumbs a couple of times. And we might be able to help you guide you around some of those very painful processes. So you can use the subcontractors in the church as well. 1 Corinthians 10 says this, All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. You have to be careful of what you include in your new life. Can't take shortcuts. And that's what we're prone to do a lot of times. My flesh loves shortcuts. Lord, get me out of this thing. You know, it's so uncomfortable. Well, that's part of the process is discomfort. Keep using that P word, huh? Process. Not that I'm a fan of saving, but you know, it is what it is. I believe that the Word of God teaches us that we are not to cut corners on workmanship. But instead, we're to allow the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures and the architect to guide and direct us so that we get it done right the first time. Otherwise, we have to keep coming back. Because God, when He does His inspection, He doesn't accept second-hand or second-rate materials. When He comes through there and it's not done the way He's, he's told us to do it, He says, pull it out. And trust me, that's a lot more time-consuming and energy-investing and painful than just doing it right the first time. I hope you're hearing what's being said under what's being said. Don't use substandard materials. You'll be sorry later. You might think it's a bargain, but trust me, it's not. And don't use prefab materials. The story of David trying to wear Saul's armor comes to mind immediately. It didn't work out too well, did it? You remember the story? David was about to go out and fight Goliath, and Saul wanted to give him his armor. Now, Saul was a guy that stood head and shoulders above everybody else. David was a boy. And so guess what? Saul's armor didn't fit David. And yet he wanted, he wanted him to put his armor on to go out there and face the giant. David said, no, that's not going to work. That, that'll hinder me. And so prefab stuff in our lives doesn't work either. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21 says, But examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, and abstain from every form of evil. As you go through this process of renovation, make that your goal. That you go through this stuff, and you look for God to give you a custom fit. And you go through this inventory and you throw out what is bad. Keep what is good and allow God to bring His best into your lives. Step four. Getting and keeping the right fit. This has to do with measuring and maintenance. Always measure by His standards. Always measure by His standards. Our standards sometimes don't quite measure up, if you know what I mean. Again, trust the architect. Trust the blueprint. Trust the contractor. Always follow His maintenance schedule. There's a way that you have to take care of your house. If you don't, it's going to run down. Even when it's brand new, a brand new house will run down if it's not maintained properly. And so it is with our lives. 
That new life that Christ has given you, that new birth that you've experienced, that new creation that He has given you, has to be maintained. That's what Paul was talking about somewhat when he says that we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We have to keep it up. We have to keep the renovation process going and we have to maintain. Some of this is done through regular inspections. For my recovery folks, that would be step 10. Well, we keep coming back and keep doing it over and over again. Regular inspection so that we don't allow the cobwebs to gather. So we don't allow the insects to build nests. <laughs> and then regular cleaning. Keep coming back and letting the Holy Spirit show you where the dirt is. Because we have a tendency to sweep it under the rug, to hide it in the closet. But we have to be open and honest with God and, and invite the Holy Spirit to come in and say, inspect me today. Search me, O God, again, like the psalmist said. Keep coming back. The final thing I want to share with you today about God's renovation plan is there's always a cost for renovation. So who's paying for all this? The good news is that God's renovation plan is pre-approved and prepaid. If you've ever tried to buy a house, you know that nowadays especially, that financing process can be long and involved and difficult and kind of take you around in circles sometimes. Even if your finances are really good, the bank has ways of twisting you in the wind. The good news for all of us is the price of our renovation has been completely prepaid, pre-approved by God himself. All we have to do is provide some sweat equity because Jesus paid it all. In John chapter 19, verse 30, it says, therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now, in our English, it's three words. It is finished. In the language that he spoke, it was one word, tetelestai. And that word literally means paid in full. Go ahead and click it one more time. There you go. Because that is the word that they'd write, that one word, tetelestai, is the one word that they would write at the bottom of a receipt when you would buy something or pay for something. They would write tetelestai at the bottom of it, paid in full. And this is the word that Jesus uttered from the cross. We hear, paid in full, we hear it is finished. What he really said was paid in full. Our renovation has been paid in full. Jesus paid it all. I have one more little cartoon, I think, to show you. <laughs> it says that they're renovating the inside right now, and I understand they're going to do, redo the outside later. Well, don't pay attention to what this outside looks like. It's, it's beginning to get run down. You know, there's... Uh, Roof is going away. Uh, <laughs> bulging at the seams a little bit. But that's okay. Because he's still working on me on the inside. It's the Holy Spirit interior renovation team. And he's working on me on the inside. And he's working on us too. Every one of us in here.
He's working on us now, here, in this place that we dwell in. But He's also working up there. He's working on a new place for us to dwell with Him. Until then, we must let Him work on us. Work on this place that we're dwelling in right now. Communion is part of the maintenance process. That's why it says, do this in remembrance of me. And do it often, Paul said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. And so as we go through communion today, let's remember this is part of the maintenance process. This is part of the renovation process. And that's why it says in verse 28, but let a man examine himself. It's opening up the doors and saying, Holy Spirit, check this out. If there's anything in here that doesn't belong, if I've accumulated any trash, if there's something broken in me, fix me now. There's no better opportunity than right now, right here, as we prepare to receive communion together, to pray those words and say, Lord, fix me. Fix me. If you're here today and you haven't even begun the process of renovation, maybe you've never experienced the born-again experience. The good news is, it doesn't take a lot of time. Jesus has already invested all the time that's needed. Right now, right here, as we sing these songs and prepare for communion and the brothers come and distribute the elements, you can give your heart and life to Jesus and say, fix me, renovate me, make me a new creature in Christ.